Can I say before I get into this message, this is probably one of the most important messages you'll ever hear. Just think about that for a while. It doesn't get much more important than this one. Now, when you're hearing it, you might think, oh, I don't think that's very important. <laughs> Believe me, it really, really is. <clears throat> so I want to start with a question this morning, and that is this. What do you see as the most valuable thing you possess? Why don't you tell the person next to you? What is it? The thing you watch over more carefully than anything else. Maybe it's your... Or maybe the thing you spend more time on than anything else. It could be your garden for some of you. Or your house, maybe your car, wedding ring. If it's one of those, you know, rubies or diamonds or something. Maybe the most thing you watch most carefully is your money, your health. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Fitness. Maybe it's your kids, your family, your wife, your husband. I don't know. I want to suggest that the most valuable thing you possess, of course, outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all that sort of thing, is actually your time. This is part three of time, your most valuable asset, but I'm going to bring it out from a different angle because you could subtitle this message, Preparing for the Most Important Day of Your Life, which raises another question, doesn't it? What is the most important day of your life? Is it your birthday? Is it the day you were born? Is it your wedding anniversary? Is it the day you graduate? Pay off your mortgage? Retire? What is the most important day of your life? If you don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> because then how do you prepare for that day? And are you preparing for that day? How many of you want me to continue this message? <laughs> All right, I will. You don't hear this preached very often, which is a tragedy. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up verse 9 and verse 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Now why would you want to be well-pleasing to him? Verse 10. For we must all, everyone say all, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. If you want to put this in context, go to verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. This is scary stuff. We persuade men. This event takes place after the second coming of Christ, and it's only for Christians, not for unbelievers, only for Christians. And what happens is that every single one of us is going to stand before God. Not with our family, not with our friends, not with our husband, or alone we will stand before the Master, the Creator of the universe. And uh, we will give an account of how we have lived our lives upon this earth. And based on 
how we have lived for God, served Him, passionately fulfilled His calling on our lives, we will be rewarded with crowns and rewards. And however that takes place, and those rewards will be ours forever and ever. And uh, so the extent to which you and I accomplish the reason for which we were born, the reason for which we are alive today, the extent to which we fulfill that reason will determine our entire eternity and our rewards. In fact, I was listening to a tape yesterday when Brian Bailey was had an out-of-body experience. God, he, he died, actually. He was in bed. And he said, Lord, I've had enough. Take me. God took him at his word, dangerous words to speak. He came out of his body. He zoomed very rapidly towards heaven. And he stood at the judgment seat of Christ. And he goes on about, as I listened to it, I was absolutely mesmerized. I'd already prepared my sermon, by the way. Just picked up a tape to listen to it, And here it was, there again. And he talks about how he had not, God showed him a cameo of his past life. It was on his left-hand side, he said. And then that was okay, but then God showed him a cameo of what he was meant to have done, and he had died too early. Fortunately, he was able to go back and finish the course God had for him. But he brings out, as does another man, he said that the, the sorrow he experienced for not having finished his course, he said, was immeasurable. And he pleaded with God, let me go back and finish my course. And God was merciful to him. So another guy by the name of Mike Bickle, God gave him an incredible vision and he found himself at the judgment seat of Christ. And it was very clear that his life would be evaluated based on how well he had served God on earth. The Lord showed him what would happen if he went path A, this path, instead of path B, which was God's path for him. So in other words, he, he lived out his life, but he didn't fulfill the plan and the destiny God had for him. And then the Lord spoke to him very clearly and said this, you are saved, but your life was wasted. He got to heaven, but didn't get the rewards that he should have. He said in that vision, he desperately, desperately pleaded with God, for a second chance. But he said the communication was clear and the answer was no, there is no second chance. Fortunately for him, this was a vision. And he said that experience changed his life forever. He realized then on a daily basis, minute by minute, hour by hour, there was only one purpose, one plan. I've got to serve God with every ounce of strength I have got and fulfill the destiny and the plan that he has for my life. Are you still with me this morning? You see, everything in your life is building towards that day. Everything, just moving towards that day. And every day you and I wake up in the morning and get out of bed, we need to be aware that the moment that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ is very fast approaching. It's not far away. And that's going to help us to, every day, pursue the call of God upon our hearts. And I want to encourage you, church, as you get up tomorrow morning, that your first waking thoughts be, God, what's your destiny for me today? 
How do you want me to serve you today? What is your plan for this day that I might ultimately fulfill your call upon my life? If you're finding you're not waking up with that thought yet, may this message help you to do that. It's going to help you prepare for the most important day of your life. Now, most of us know what it's like to fail an exam. How many of you have failed an exam, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Most of us know. Awful feeling, isn't it? Isn't it terrible? It's just, you know, nightmare. So what we do in order not to fail our exam, we, most of us, or many of us, we study like crazy. We work hard. We prepare because this exam is coming. We don't want to do it again. We just want to pass. And, you know, some people stress and struggle and strive and perspire and, you know, don't sleep well at night. Why? Because they're preparing for an exam. But friends, there's an exam coming that's going to outweigh every other exam you'll ever sit in your life. And it's the day when you stand before God at His judgment seat and He assesses your, your life. It is an exam and a test that you must pass and you want to pass. If there's one exam to prepare for, friends, it is a judgment seat of Christ because eternity depends on how you fare on that day. Those of you who sit exams, let it remind you that there is another exam coming. You might say, Pastor, I wish I'd stayed home this morning. I don't want to hear this, but I have a job to do. Because when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm scared that you're going to say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I never knew about this. He's going to say, well, what church did you go to? He said, Church Unlimited. Who was the pastor? Tagbana, are you telling me he didn't tell you about the most important day of your life? You're going to bow your head down and say, sorry, Lord. Yes, he did warn me. He did tell me. I'm doing you an immeasurable favor this morning. Whether you like the message or not, friends, it's so important because we're all going to face this incredible day. So to receiving our awards that God has for us, the key is this, is we've got to use wisely the time allocated to us. And to make the best use of our time, we need to realize two things, all right? The first thing is this, compared to eternity, life is extremely short. It's just a whisper, a vapor. We've talked about this, haven't we? It's temporary, so you're not going to be here long, so don't get too attached. The Bible says you're an alien, you're a visitor, you're a foreigner, a stranger, you're just passing through. Psalm 39, verse 4 to 5. Psalm 39, verse 4 to 5. It says this, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreadth. My age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow and so forth. You know, in the United States, if you ever go there, People go to work there from other nations. They have to carry a green card. The reason they have to carry a green card is that they're not citizens. They're only visitors. Every Christian needs to carry a spiritual green card, that you are a visitor on earth, passing through for a moment, and then heading off to your true citizenship, which is in heaven, according to Philippians 3.19, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait 
the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to guard against adopting the values and the lifestyles of this world because we don't belong to this place. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love the world or the things in this world. Don't love them. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Romans 2 verse 2, therefore do not conform. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Don't fall in love with this foreign land. Don't fall in love with your car. Don't fall in love with your house. Don't fall in love with your career, your job. Hey, just a moment, they're gone. And they can distract you from living for the judgment seat of Christ because you end up putting so much energy in those things. You don't put the energy where it really needs to go. Anyone with me this morning? Okay, okay. We just need to be reminded of those things. Many Christians have concluded that have concluded and also live as though life on earth is their home. That's the way they live. This is my home. Everything. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. I've got to have the other. This is, this is, life's got to work for me here. And that becomes the incredible focus. They want it all here now. There's a big focus of many people on a money and house and a car and a family and a career. All are important. All are good. God wants you to have all of those but in their rightful place. Not so they consume you, but just bless you while you are here. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you. <laughs> it's the begging of God. <laughs> I beg you as sojourners, pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. So we need to remember that life on earth is just a test. It's a trust. It's a temporary assignment. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we do not look at the things which are seen and the things which are not seen are eternal. Look not at the things which are seen. What, what do you see around you? God said, hey, don't look at those things, but look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, house, car, all that sort of stuff, money, temporary. Things which are not seen are eternal. We need to have our eyes fixed on the unseen things which are so much more important. So this is what God does. Think about this. In order to stop us getting too attached to this world, which most of us are in danger of doing, including me, God allows discontent. God allows dissatisfaction. Why? To ever draw our hearts heavenward, where every Desire, every hope, every dream will be fulfilled. You see, friends, I think most of us have realized that we're really not completely happy here on earth. You know why we're not? Because we're not meant to be. This is not our home. We don't belong here. God has something far better waiting for us. Let's not put our roots down. Let's not look for all the fulfillment and satisfaction 
here on this earth, friends, it will never happen. You were not made for earth. You were created for heaven, which is awaiting you and awaiting me. So yes, there will be dissatisfaction. Yes, there will be discontent. There'll always be the sense something is missing. That's how I feel. No matter how good it is here, no matter how successful you are here, friends, there'll always be the sense that you're not complete. A fish will never be happy living on the land. Why? Because it's made for the water. An eagle will never be satisfied if it can't fly. And you, my friend, will never be satisfied on earth because you were made for an existence infinitely, gloriously better than anything on this planet. There will be happy times. There will be times we will feel great. But it's nothing compared to what God's prepared for you and I. C.S. Lewis said this, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. <laughs> Secondly, it's a serious mistake to think that God's goal for your life is material prosperity or popular success. Now, let me hear me well. God's not against these things. If he gives them to you, God bless you. I'm delighted for you. But that's not the ultimate goal of life. See, the abundant life that Jesus speaks of, I've come to give you life and that more abundant, is not a guarantee of material prosperity and success. It's not a guarantee. Hey, I hope they come your way. But I know, friends, from Scripture and history, there are many incredibly faithful, godly, Christians who have neither material success or prosperity or success in the way that we would term it. Even more true in developing nations. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was faithful, ends up in prison. I'm not sure he owned anything. What about John the Baptist? How many of you reckon he was pretty faithful to God? Yeah. Yeah beheaded. I don't think he had a mansion. And then there's millions of faithful Christians around the world who have been martyred, lost everything, and have come to the end of life with nothing to show for it. But friends, the end of life is not the end. The greatest heroes of faith are not those who achieve prosperity and success in life, but those who surrender all to serving God and who look for their rewards in heaven. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, assured of them, embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 16 but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. There is a story told of a retiring missionary coming back after years of service on the foreign field, returning to America. He's on the same boat as a United States president. 
To welcome the president, there's cheering crowds, there's a band, there's a red carpet, there's banners, there is the media. The poor missionary slips off the ship unnoticed, feeling self-pity for himself. He begins to complain to the Lord, at which point God gently reminds him and says, my child, you are not home yet. And there's going to be a welcome waiting that will surpass any welcome that one might ever receive on planet Earth. Can I say this? You and I won't have been in heaven for two seconds before we cry out, why did I focus so much on things that are temporary? What was I thinking? Lord, why did I waste so much time, energy, worry on what was not going to last? Two seconds in heaven, and you'll see everything so differently, friends. But I'm trying to help you to see it differently now before you get to heaven so you can prepare for the most important day in your life. Are we getting anywhere this morning? So when life gets tough, which it does, and it maybe has for you, and you're wondering, what's this about? Is living for Christ worth it? Just remember, you're not home yet. Because at death, you don't leave home. You go home. Mark 4 and verse 19. Some things to guard against if we're not going to get caught up living for this world and for this life. As I said, you don't hear this preach much. It says, The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Think about that for a moment, friends. The three things that can rob you at the judgment seat of Christ, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Cares, riches, the desire for other things. Friends, I have prayed many a time, God, break the shackles of this world off me. It's enticements. It's allurements, something God has to help us with. One of the most powerful motivations to use our time exceptionally wisely is living in the awareness that the day is coming. You and I stand before the Master, the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an account of how we have conducted ourselves on this planet. What we have done with the gifts entrusted to us. What we've done with the emotions and energy and body given to us on trust by God. God is a master investor. And he will be looking for a good return from me and from you.
That day, friends, is approaching faster than any of us would ever like to think or imagine. How we use our spare time is so critical. What you have to do at work, and maybe at school, you can't juggle that too much. But outside of that, you have a lot of choice what you do with your outside hours. A couple of quotes, time is the most valuable thing a man can spend. Time equals life, therefore waste your time, waste your life. Master your time, master your life. As many of you know, God encountered me six weeks, a few weeks, a number of weeks ago, and said, Tark, I want you to be accountable to me now for every hour of your life. And I've sought to live in that awareness that every hour is important. It has changed my life. I'm a different person since I met with God, but I'm deeply, deeply grateful because it's helping me to prepare for the most important day of my life when I stand before my master and give an account of how I served him, loved him, sacrificed for him, gave my best for him. Procrastination is one of our big problems, Luke 9, 59 to 61. He said to another, follow me, but he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the bury their own, bury their own dead. Another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. All excuses, friends. Procrastination is the thief of time. It's one of the most powerful weapons robbing you and I, Christians, of our eternal rewards. so important in the natural realm and the spiritual realm. I want to encourage you as I wrap this message up. Please don't say to yourself, please, one day I will really serve God. Give Him my best. When the kids are a bit older, the mortgage is paid, my studies are finished. What happens, friends, is after those things are done, something else arises and delays us from ever getting around to serving God. So I Hand it over to musicians.
I beg you. Today, every day, serve them. Everything you've got.